Well, today, this is the final week of our series called Because I Said So. Over the previous four weeks, we've been looking at the commands of Jesus Christ. And if you've missed any of the weeks, I want to encourage you to go back and watch them. Because we started in week number one talking about continual characteristics of a life with Jesus. Then we talked about clear confession in week two. Last week, two weeks ago, Rach talked about consistent clipping. And then last week, we talked about committed connection. And so on this final week, I got three last things that I believe we see in Scripture that God wants us to remember in a life fully devoted to Jesus. And somebody stopped me in the lobby and said, Pastor Michael, you know I have a graduation today and I got to get there by 2 o'clock. So you better wrap this up really quick. I know you. And so we're going to dive right into it today. My note takers in the room, get ready because one of the three things I want you to take away today, one of the things that is so important that Jesus talks about in Scripture, number one, is that character counts. Character counts. John chapter 8 About a week or so, I posted on my socials how much I love John chapter 8. Because when you look at it, it starts off talking about the woman caught in adultery. There's this beautiful moment when they're getting ready to stone her. And Jesus writes in the dirt. And you see one at a time, all the rocks, all the stones start to drop. And Jesus said, okay, young lady, go and sin no more. And as you continue to read that, he follows it up by saying, I am the light of of the world. There's this back and forth between Jesus and, and the Pharisees that are there. And see, when I was reading this just a week or so ago, I read a verse that I believe I don't know that I've ever paid any attention to it before. In my estimation, sometimes it's kind of a throwaway verse. But when you look at John chapter 8, verse 30, it says, Then many who heard him say these things believed in him. They believed in him. When you look around this scripture, there's no miracle that Jesus is performing. There's no divine healing that takes place. Can I tell you what I think they did? I think they looked at Jesus' life. I think they looked at his character. And what did they see is that his words matched up with his walk. See, how you live will determine if people find Jesus. Can I tell you today, your life is a catalyst. Your character is a catalyst. So choose wisely. How are we living? See, the light of Jesus becomes an ongoing discussion. It's some of the foundational teaching of Jesus throughout his ministry. See, today, this morning, if you've been following along in our Bible reading plan, today, this morning, I read John chapter 12. And John chapter 12, if you didn't read it today, I mean, I want to encourage you to go back. But Jesus arrives in Jerusalem. It actually kicks off Holy Week. We refer to this day as as Palm Sunday. And everything starts to move forward. And Jesus predicts his upcoming death in just a few short days. And when you read John chapter 12, 35 through 36, it says, My light will shine for you just a little longer. Walk in the light while you can so the darkness will not overtake you. Those who walk in the darkness cannot see where they are going. Put your trust in the light while there is still time. Then you will become children of the light. See, when it comes to our character, I believe in Scripture, Jesus gives us two commands. Jesus gives us two commands. Number one, he says, walk in the light. Walk in the light. We as believers, we should be walking in the light of Jesus. See, I grew up... Uh, for many, many years living in central Illinois, but there were about two years that, that we moved to Missouri. Rach hates when I talk about this. Every time we go to St. Louis, she's like, I know. I know you grew up in Wentzville, Missouri. I know you went to Daniel Boone School, and I know that you lived in St. Louis during the 85 World Series between the Cardinals and the Royals. I don't need to hear about it one more time, boo. But when we lived in Missouri at the time, my mom would often take me to a place called the Magic House. I don't know if any of y'all are familiar with the Magic House, but it's this children's museum just outside of St. Louis. And I love it. We've taken our kids many times when they were younger. And when I went as a kid, one of my favorite parts was you would go onto the second floor of this facility and you'd walk in, you'd open up these little curtains and it would be completely dark on the inside. And you had to make your way all the way down this maze to the first level just by feeling things. 
And I remember the very first time I went, it took me forever. I think my mom was on the phone calling the cops, like, where's my boy? Because I went really, really slowly. I was really, really scared. I couldn't see what was right in front of me. But can I tell you, the next time we went, it was completely different. They said, today we're going to do something different in that room, and we're going to leave the lights on the entire time. Can I tell you how much easier it was that second time when all the lights were on where I could see exactly where I'm going? See, why are you telling me all this? Because some of us, I believe we live in the darkness. We live apart from Jesus. But when you allow Jesus to lead your path, he will illuminate the path and the plan and the future that he has for your life. See, walking in the darkness is difficult. It's dangerous. Progress is really, really slow. But when you tether your life with Jesus, he illuminates your path. The dangers are avoided. And it's so much easier to go in the direction that he's calling each and every one of us. See, you need to know today when we talk about character, Christ will always match your assignment with your character. He will always match your assignment with your character. See, what do I mean by that? Your alignment will determine your assignment. The more faithful you are to Jesus, the more trustworthy you are, the more caring, the more that you exude the light of Jesus, can I tell you, the bigger the platform, the bigger the opportunities Jesus will have for you if you continue, like we said last week, same-siders, remain in me. And some of y'all, you are same-side. I saw you all week long. You're like, are we ain't ashamed of that? We're remaining together. Let's just keep, if you didn't get that, you weren't here last week. Check out the podcast, yo. See, I often tell our team, talent will illuminate you, but character will elevate you. Talent will get you in the room, but your character will keep you there. See, you continue to read, Jesus is talking very early on in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 14 through 16. He says once again, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. See, Jesus is telling us not to just walk in the light. But now that you've experienced Jesus, now we're called to shine your light. We're called to shine your light. See, there's a, a woman that I've known since I was really, really young. And she was always known as a lady that rode the Jesus bicycle throughout Pekin. Some of y'all are from Pekin. You know who I'm talking about right now. And everywhere she went, from as long as I could remember, she would wear this long denim skirt. The hair would be always pulled back. And she would wave to everybody wherever she went. Real talk, she's tried to get me saved like 19 times at Walgreens. <laughs> See, and when I was younger, I thought, man, she is, she's crazy. Like, she's kind of borderline annoying. But now as a 44-year-old man, every time I see her, I'm so inspired by her because wherever she goes, she is shining the light of Jesus. Even when people don't want to engage with her, even when people won't give her the time of the day, she continues to shine the light of Jesus. Why? Because once you've experienced the light of Jesus, you should expand the light of Jesus. Wherever you go, people should see Jesus in you. People should see Jesus in the way you speak, in the way you act. I don't know what your job looks like, but people should see Jesus in us, whether we're in the classroom, the boardroom, the newsroom, the mailroom, the operating room. People should see the love of Jesus through you. We are called to shine our light. See, when you carry the light of Jesus, can I tell you, the devil loves nothing more than to try to snuff it out. I had a conversation just a couple of weeks ago with someone and they were asking me for advice and I was saying, here's what I believe as a Christ follower you should do. I think this is how you should navigate this season of your life. And they said, you know, I don't know that I really agree with that because I've done this before in the past and, and, and it hasn't caused any problems. And I said to this friend of mine, I said, but you're in a different season right now. See, your past, you weren't following Jesus 
but now you are. And can I tell you, when you are following Jesus, the target on your back is going to be bigger, and the enemy now is going to be bolder. So you need to know you can't do things the way that you used to do it back then. See, the enemy would love nothing more than to take you out. See, Romans 13, 12 through 14 says, The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day, we must live decent lives for all to see. Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, close yourselves with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. I I read this passage just a few weeks ago and I had to really take a look at my own life. The Lord convicted me, and as I read through that, he asked me, listen, are, are, are you wearing those dirty clothes, or are you wearing that shining armor? Will you be known, Michael, as somebody who is all about the dark deeds, or will it be all about the right living? See, that's a question every single one of us has to answer. And be really careful how you answer that, Christian. Because when we read a passage like this, those of us who have known Jesus for a really long time, that have gone to Christian school, that have shown up in church for many, many, many years, we go back into the text and we're like, don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness. I'm good with that. We continue to read sexual promiscuity and immoral living. Yep, I'm okay. Quarreling and jealousy? Because so many of us, we can look at the sins that Paul's talking about right here and say, that ain't me. But if we're honest right now, are you in a place where you're quarreling? You're one of those miserable Christians. You always have to have the last word. You always have to be right. Are you in a place where you're jealous of what other people are achieving and relationships that others are in. See, we've got to look at ourselves and say, am I going to wear the dirty clothes or am I going to be putting on the shining armor of God? We've got to make that decision. See, you need to know, one of Rach and I, our biggest ministries isn't on this platform. Our biggest ministry, I believe, is in our home. We're called to be the parents of of, a 16-year-old and a 15-year-old and an 11-year-old, pray for your boy. And see, one of the things that we're able to do is our home has become a place where our kids want to bring their friends. And listen, when you open up your home to your kids' friends, anything can happen. We found things. We've heard things that would never normally be allowed in our home But it's been an incredible opportunity that just in the way we live and the way we speak and our actions to show what Jesus, who he truly is in our life and in our family. And I told you last week, it's not perfect. And as as we've got to sit down at meals with some of our kids' friends and we talk about church, we're not one that bashes over the head, but they just start to ask us questions. And our kids are inviting their friends to come to church on Wednesday night and Sunday mornings and you know, they often talk, you know, my, my, my mom used to go to church. My dad isn't really a church kind of person. And, and, and when you really drill down on why are you no longer, why are your parents no longer in church, want to be a part of church, it comes down to really two things that I've seen in my unscientific time around our dinner table. It's a lack of character in the church and it's a lack of love in the church. Can I tell you today in 2022 at Riverside Community Church, we're going to do whatever we can to change that. We're going to live our lives. We're going to allow our words to match our walk. See, some of y'all don't like the things that I preach about. I don't like the fact that he's that transparent. I don't like the fact that some of the things that he says are not what a pastor should say. But why do I do that? Because it allows people that have never been a part of a church to say, when I sit under that leadership, under that teaching, if there's hope for that dude with a butterfly on his shirt, surely there's hope for me. So I got to ask you, 
I challenged our team with this just a couple weeks ago. Are you pulling or are you positioning? Are you pulling people away from Jesus by the way that you live your life? Or are you positioning them closer to Jesus? We've got to ask, for the rest of my life, am I going to be a man of God that pulls people away? Or am I going to position them closer and closer to Jesus? See, how do I do that? See, I believe, number one, it's starting to remember that character counts. But secondly, I believe it's all about having compassionate conversations. Character counts, but Jesus is saying it's all about compassionate conversations. See, part of working on the interior this year is that we as a church family, we've made a decision that we're going to read through the entire Bible in one year. And it's okay sometimes if you get off track, there's always the next day to start back up. And I want to tell you, if you haven't been a part of that journey, it's not too late for you to jump in. We still have Bibles available in the lobby. Stop at the merch wall. They'll be able, they would love to put one in your hand. But I want to give you a sneak peek of what you'll read tomorrow. Because we're going to be in John chapter 13 tomorrow, verse 34 through 35. I want you to have this. I want this to be the foundation of this week. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So you need to have some context to this because Jesus is saying this right after the Last Supper. See, in the Last Supper, Jesus had gone and he had washed his disciples' feet. Every single one of them. Judas, that he knew was about to go betray him. Peter, that he knew was about to deny him, not once, not twice, but three times. Some of the other disciples that were about to fall asleep in the garden. And it baffles me when I read that. Because I don't know that I could have done that. If I knew people were going to turn on me, people were going to sell me out, the last thing I would want to do would be to wash their feet. Listen, and some of y'all, I'm about ready to step on your toes, so get ready. See, Jesus uses the word love 28 times over the course of these five chapters. From John chapter 13 to John chapter 17. He knew that his time on earth was coming to an end. And he thought, what are the last few important things that I need to leave with them before I'm arrested? And what did he want to leave with the people Jesus says the telltale sign of a true disciple, a true follower of Jesus, is that we have love for one another. Without any kind of stipulations, love for one another. See, if you're new to Riverside, we started off 2022. We took 10 weeks to do a series called We Agree. We talked about the 10 values that we're all a part of. That when you say, I'm a part of Riverside, you're agreeing to these 10 values. One of them is we will deal with issues swiftly, personally, and respectfully. We preached on that. We taught on that one week. And then we doubled down the next week and said, we will be united as one team with one mission to serve one God. See, where did those values come from? Where did those interpersonal relationships, loving one another, come from? It came from this passage in Matthew chapter 18. I want you to follow along. Matthew chapter 18, 15 through 17 says, If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. See, when you, when you really dive into that, I don't want to move too fast. It says, this is Jesus talking. It says, private pointing, not public punishing. You have an issue with someone, it says, go to them privately, point out the offense. Never in here does it say, we're going to publicly punish them on Facebook. Nowhere does it say that. It says, if you have an issue, you go directly to that person. Can I tell you, we've been walking through this as a church in real time. 
Over the last few months, people will email me, part of our team, our eldership. And can I tell you, the first thing I always say back to people is, have you talked to that person about it first? It goes silent. And some people will do exactly what it says. Yeah, yeah, pastor, I understand. That's the biblical mandate. I'm going to go talk to that person. Nine times out of ten, it gets resolved between that person, those two parties. But there's some of y'all in this room that we as a leadership team have rerouted you where we've said to you, go back and talk to that person, but you've been disobedient and defiant. We as a church moving forward, we're no longer going to allow us to pick and choose things from God's word that we want to do and leave the rest on the shelf. No, it says if you have an issue, you go talk to that person. Once you talk to that person, if it's still not resolved, take a couple others. If it's still not resolved, then come talk to us about it. See, but we need to get to this place where we need to quit talking about people and start talking to people. <laughs> See, growing up, in the church that I grew up, we sang this song quite often called, We Are One in the Spirit. I don't know if you're familiar with that song, but there's a refrain at the end of it, and, and, and it goes on, and they will know we are Christians by our political opinions. They will know we are Christians by our judgment of one another. No, the common refrain that I learned as a young six, seven, eight-year-old boy that sat in those hard pews is that I sang, they will know we are Christians by our love. See, there's some of us, we need to learn that song. You need to download it on Spotify right now in the middle of it. And you just need to play that over and over again because to the world, I want them to see the church. I want them to see believers and say, man, they are marked out not by their judgment, but by their love. See, some of y'all are so opinionated about everything. See, as a church, as believers, as Christians today, we're becoming no more for our opinions than our obedience. We're becoming more known for what, for what we think about topics rather than what God says about topics. And so we're going to be obedient to God's words. See, 1 John 4, 20 through 21. If someone says, I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? And he has given us this command, those who love God must also love their fellow believers. So I'm just going to sit in this for a moment. You see what Jesus, this isn't Michael saying this. Jesus said, some of y'all are liars. If you say you love Jesus, but hate a fellow believer, you're lying. See, just this week I talked to somebody, a great man that I love so, so much. And he said, Pastor, you, you need to know I'm probably not going to be back. And I said, tell me, what's going on? And he goes, there's, there's just this juxtaposition going on. My word, not his. He doesn't use juxtaposition. And he says, you know, I, 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 I've, I've been in this place where I've lost a friendship and I've tried to make it right. And I've texted and I've called and we've gone on months and months and months and I, 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 I'm going to see the error of my ways. I want to apologize. I'm trying to move things in the right direction. But, but my brother in the faith, he's not taking me up on the offer. He won't even return my text, my phone call. And he goes, you need to know what's really hard for me is when I come to service and I see my brother. And he's raising his hand in worship. But he won't even make it right between the two of us. Jesus is saying, you can't say you love Jesus. You can't raise your hands in worship if you won't make it right with your brother. He says, I'm calling you a liar. It spits in the face of who Jesus really is. See, Jesus didn't just tell us about love. Jesus actually showed what love looks like. So there would never be any question. There would never be any doubt in our minds. See, when you go through scripture, we see Jesus. He fed people. 
He, he prayed with people. He spent time with people. He, he healed people. He forgave people. Some of y'all hate the word forgive. You like to use another F word to talk about your brother. It's okay. We'll pray for you at the altar next Sunday. But so many of us, we hate the word forgive. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 15 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. I love that phrase, Christ's love compels us. But can I tell you, we as Christians, we as followers of Jesus, can I tell you what we're often doing in 2022? We often repel rather than compel. We push people further and further and further away from Jesus rather than inviting them into a relationship with him. We will speak the truth in love. We love to speak the truth. But so often our truth, there's no love even attached to it. Can I tell you, I'm not preaching to y'all today. I'm preaching right back to myself. Tuesday night, I got home, sat down, saw my kids. Rach was at work. We went about the day. One of my kids, I'm not going to tell you who their name is. They said, can I go to the park with so-and-so? I said, absolutely you can. They went to the park together. They were going to watch Sectional soccer game. Cool. Go Dragons. It didn't work. Um, and the whole time I was sitting there, I was, I was paying, paying bills. And, and we're really trying to watch what we spend. We're going on vacation in a, in a few weeks. And I pulled, up, I pulled up our account. And there was a charge on there for $210. I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's going to out the person that it was. You can probably figure it out. Anyway. <laughs> for $210. And I text one of my three children. I said, hey, did you buy something from da-da-da-da-da? Nah. And I asked all my other kids. Nobody knew what I was talking about. So I, 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 put, I got on the phone and I called the old American Express. I said, I don't know what this is. I don't know who bought this. I, I think there must be a mistake, ma'am. And she goes, let me, let me transfer you to the fraud department. I was like, yes, let's go. I'm going to nail this person for stealing my card. And, and they go, give me the information. I said, and we went through it. And I was like, yeah, nobody here. And, and, and they came back about seven minutes later. And they said, well, excuse me, Michael Richardson. Do you know a blah, 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 Richardson? And I said, I certainly do. And they said, well, blah, 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 Richardson apparently ordered this $210 purchase. And I said, they said, would you like us to, would you like us to do anything more? I go, nah, unless you want to come save one of my kids right now. I don't know where your call center is, but hop a flight. <laughs> and I, 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 I called said child, and I said, I'm coming to get you right now. <laughs> Yo, I, I, I'm telling you right now, if, if they ever do a, a, a minivan reboot, uh, a Fast and the Furious, it's going to star me. Because <laughs> I pulled out of our driveway and went, wheels, just tires squealing. Listen, real talk, I was in a t-shirt and boxers. And I'm just like driving there. Don't picture it, you perverts. Um, I pull, I, I've never gotten so fast to the soccer field in all my life. And I get there and I was like, and the whole time we're driving, I'm telling you, this child, it was the longest like three minute car ride of their life. And I sat down the next day and worked on this message about compassionate conversations. Okay, calm down, y'all. <laughs> See, when I think about that conversation, when Jesus said, speak the truth in love, when the author was talking about speak the truth in love, I realized when I look back on that conversation, I was speaking the truth, but there was no love attached in that moment. And it's an ongoing work. So when I'm standing on this platform talking about, I'm not, I often say to our team, I'm not calling you out. I'm calling each and every one of us up. I'm calling us up into the man and woman of God that the Lord has asked us to be. See, I put in my notes, when people see how we live and treat others, 
Do they see Jesus in action or do they see Jesus in absence? Is Jesus nowhere to be seen in how we live our lives? See, Jesus is talking about right before the Sermon on the Mount, He's preaching the Beatitudes. It's kind of the preamble before he gets into his big message, the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 5, 7, he says, God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. What is Jesus saying right there? You will get what you give. You give mercy, you will receive mercy. See, so often in church settings, I think we use the, the words grace and mercy kind of interchangeably. We think they're the, they're the same things. But I, I remember listening to a, a preacher many, many years ago give the definition for the two of these. And, and it kind of changed how I look at both of those. And so if you're unsure what that looks like, this is stuck with me. And, and maybe write this down in, in your notebook today. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. That's what grace is. Grace is getting what we don't deserve. But mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Do you see the difference between the two of those? There's a difference between grace and mercy. And I remember, I often go back to growing up in Sunday school, growing up in, in Christian school, and I can often remember some of the verses that I had to memorize. And, and this was one of them. Psalm 103a, I'm even going to give it to you in the King James Version because this is how I remember it. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to get anger, and plenteous in mercy plenteous in mercy. See, they believe, theologians believe that this was written by David later on in his life. They believe that he wrote this during a time where he had learned about the grace and mercy and the patience of God. And see, just this week, we read in 1 Samuel chapter 24. See, if you've been following along in our Bible reading plan, Saul has been hunting David. He's been throwing spears at him. He's been trying to kill him all these many, many days. And there comes a point, it's a crazy story, where it says Saul goes, in the version that we've been reading, Saul goes to relieve himself. Basically what it means, he needs a potty break. And so he's in the cave, he's going to the bathroom, he's at his most vulnerable. David and his men see him and they say, take him out right now. But David doesn't do that. It says he just cuts off a piece of his robe. See, we don't know David's full motivation in that moment. But can I tell you, when I look at that passage, I believe it could be because David had experienced grace and mercy from his heavenly father. That now he extended grace and mercy to Saul. See, hallelujah is right. See, when, when you've experienced the love of Jesus, you should now extend the love of Jesus to anyone who comes in your path. Because when you've dealt with the grace and the mercy, see, today I'm getting you out of here. I'm watching the time really, really good today. See, we're going to remember the character counts. We're going to focus on compassionate conversations and finally, our lives are going to be all about consolidated consumption. Consolidated consumption. See, I don't know about your family, but since our kids were, were pretty small, we've asked them to do their own laundry. So all of my kids, they do their own laundry. Sometimes I have to remind them to do it. Sometimes they wear the same nasty hoodie four days in a row. I'm like... You stink, bro. Like, let's do some laundry. But I don't know in your family, my family is really good at starting laundry. They're not so good at finishing laundry. Legit, last night I was just going over this message one last time before this morning. And I went downstairs and I was doing some laundry that was in our, our, our bedroom. And sure enough, I went in, I pulled up the washer, and there were clothes damp clothes in the washer. I go to the dryer, there's like dry clothes in the washer. Can you guys just finish your laundry? It's one thing to start it, it's another task to finish it. But when I look at my kids that forget to finish their laundry, I, I think it's so much like you and I in our relationship with Jesus. There are so many times where I don't know that moment 
where some of you can say in this space today, there was a moment where you, you realize the weight of your sin. You realize your need for a Savior. There was a moment when you gave your heart and life to Jesus. You started a relationship with Jesus Christ. But then there was a moment when you decided not to continue. You started, but you didn't continue. You didn't keep going. And it could be a whole host of reasons. Life got hard. You got busy. People made fun of you. People looked down on you. See, but there's some of you today where you once lived a life consumed with Jesus. You now, for honest, you're living a life where you're in conflict with Jesus. See, how do I get back on track, Pastor? I know you're talking to me. I know you're reading my mail. I know you haven't seen me in six, seven, eight weeks. How do I get back on track? Can I tell you today? It's all about consolidated consumption. What do you mean by that? Well, consolidate. Consolidate, the definition is to make something stronger or more solid, firm, or secure. How do you become more solid in your relationship with Jesus? Start being a consumer. What does that mean? Start consuming God's word. Start spending time with him every single day. If it doesn't make sense to you, sometimes the Bible is just hard to understand. Find a version that makes sense for you. Maybe get a devotional to go along with it. As long as I can remember, every time I went to my Nana and Papa's house, they always had these copies of Our Daily Bread. I don't know if you're familiar. We still have them out here in the lobby. You need a devotional? Get our daily bread. It's a quick read every single day. I don't know why my Nana and Papa's house, they always had them in their bathroom. If you can't find time for Jesus, take it into the bathroom. I'm not one to judge. But it's finding time to consume time in his word. Next week I'm kicking off a brand new series called Pages. And every single week as we get into the summer month, it's almost going to be like a summer book club. We're going to share with you over five weeks books that have really impacted us. If you're looking for something to read over the summer, five weeks, five different books. Not necessarily five different books of the Bible, but actually hardcover, softcover books that you can take with you to the pool while you're on a, on a plane somewhere. Every single week at the, at the merch wall, we're going to be selling the books every single week for $15 a book. I'm so excited. I get to kick it off next week with a book that, man, I read three months ago that has just changed the game for me. I want to encourage you. But I'm consuming time with Jesus. See, what else does it look like? What are we talking about consuming? It's, it's coming to church. It's showing up every single week. It's getting my heart ready. It's posturing myself to hear from the Lord for the Holy Spirit to move. One of my favorite things throughout the week is that some of you don't just say, well, I'm only going to do church once a week, I'm going to listen to one message. You're going back throughout the weekend and, and you're listening to other messages from some of your, your favorite preachers. I love when I go on socials and, and there's people that are, are posting a message from, from, from Pastor Stephen or, or Pastor Irwin out of, at Mosaic or Pastor Rich at VU or Levi Lusco out of, out of Fresh Life. I, I love getting to see that some of you aren't just seeing this is what I can consume on a Sunday morning. It's the posture every single week. I'm going to spend time in prayer. We don't just pray over the offering. We just don't pray during worship. We just don't pray over meals. It's spending time in prayer and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to me. Allowing the Holy Spirit to move. Get yourself in a connect group. Get yourself around other people that are going to encourage you, that are going to point you closer and closer to Jesus. I'm going to spend a lot of time next week talking about community. I know it's Memorial Day weekend. Nobody else wants to be at the lake or on a boat on Sunday more than I do. But I'm going to preach at 9 and 11. And I'm going to be out there having a burger in the courtyard. I hope you can make it a priority. The beach will still be there. Your, your cooler of Bud Light will still be there. I'm not judging you. Like, let's go, yo. But it's spending time in God's word. See, I believe that if you become a consumer, it will always make you stronger. 
See, consuming always leads to consolidating. It's always going to make you stronger. See, I need to give you a quick three-part plan. How do I have this consolidated, how do I have this consolidated consumption? I think number one, it starts with love God. Start by loving God. What does that look like? Matthew 22, 37 and 38. It says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. If this were the set of family feud, and I were Steve Harvey, and I said, the top seven answers are on the board. What are the most important things in your life right now? Where would Jesus fall? Where would Jesus fall on the top seven answers of your life? Look at where your time goes. Look at what you do. Look at where your money goes. Jesus is saying, I have to be number one. When I'm number one, everything else will fall into place. Everything else will fall in line. See, God is saying, he is the Lord, but is he your Lord? Is he the Lord of every single aspect of your life? See, it says, love God. But secondly, I think this is a hard one for us. It's denying yourself. I not only have to love God, but I have to deny myself. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, denying yourself, it's a decision that each and every one of us has to make. There's a moment where we have to say, it's not going to be about me. It's all about Jesus. See, what I'm learning when we deny ourselves, it's a denial of my desires. And it's now a dedication to his development in my life. It's a denial of the things that I want in my life. But I'm making a dedication, Jesus that I'm going to allow you to develop me into whatever you've called me to be. See, it's not only a decision, but it's what I call a double D. It's a daily decision. See, denying yourself isn't easy. It's not just a one and done. Because I can deny myself today, and I can wake up tomorrow, and I fall right back into it. Real talk, I love myself. I love what I love. I love what I want to do. I love my plans. But when you deny yourself, can I tell you the beautiful thing that happens is you start to look more and more like Jesus. Every single day, that should be the heartbeat of our lives. I want to look more and more like Jesus. See, it's, it's loving God. It's denying yourselves. And then it's what Jesus says, follow Follow me. I love this passage in, in, in Luke chapter 9, verse 59 through 62. Jesus is speaking here. He said to another person, come follow me. The man agreed, but he said, Lord, first let me return home and bury my father. But Jesus told him, let the spiritually dead bury their own dead. Your duty is to go and preach about the kingdom of God. Another said, yes, Lord, I will follow you. But first... Let me say goodbye to my family. But Jesus told him, anyone who puts a hand to the plow and then looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. See, I believe today one of the greatest obstructions in the life of a believer is the phrase, but first. We too often want to live life on our own terms. See, but first is the common language of what I see as a wishy-washy believer of Jesus. Lord, I'll do whatever you want. I'll break up with this toxic relationship, but first, make sure I'm not going to be a single spinster for the rest of my life. 
Lord, I'll start to give back to you, but first, let me get a higher paying job. Lord, I know that you're calling me to a life of purity, but first, let me have just one last wild night. Lord, I know that you're calling me to a life of full-time ministry. I know you're, you're calling me to the mission field, but first, let me run it by my parents and get their approval. Too many of us, we live our lives trapped by the phrase, but first. Too many of us are disqualifying ourselves and distancing us from the destiny that God has for us. See that phrase, follow me. Jesus says it 13 times in the Gospels. He says it over and over and over again. And the Lord placed it on my heart that this weekend, that there were going to be people in this space as part of our online community that the Lord has been trying to get your attention to say, just trust me, just follow me. And today is another reminder that God is saying, just trust me. Just follow me. I've said it time and time again, but today the rubber meets the road. It's time because Jesus knew. Jesus knew if those two men went home, their family and their friends would try to talk them out of the follow. He knew that they were in jeopardy of being influenced away, sticking with the familiar. And if we're not careful, we will get more consumed with the familiar than the follow. And see, the Lord is speaking to some of you today. He says, are you going to be half-hearted or are you going to be wholly committed? See, but first isn't even in the vocabulary of a true disciple of Jesus. It's not even in the vocabulary of the men and women of God who are truly devoted to him. And the Lord is saying to you, stop focusing on what hasn't happened and start focusing on what has. What God is trying to show you, will you trust him? So many times at the beginning of a year, I hear men and women in church that say my New Year's resolution is to focus on God. And it's a great resolution to have. But there's a difference between focusing on God and following God. Because when you start to focus on God, the Lord will start to reveal new things for you, new plans, new desires. And you have a moment where am I going to move just from focusing on Him to following him. There's a moment for each and every one of us when the Lord starts to speak into your life. There's a resignation to my plans and a dedication to your plans, God. I'm following you, whatever it looks like. See, today, I believe he's calling each and every one of us to shift our thinking, to move from a but first mentality to a but God mentality. See, throughout scripture, when people were against the wall, when it seems like nothing good could come out of this, God continued to show up time and time and time again. I want us to get to the place where I'm not going to say, but first I've got to do this, or but first I've got to have this all figured out. I don't know what it looks like, but God, I'm trusting in you. 
See, and today I just want to, I just want to finish looking in God's Word. As I spent some time this week, I was just led to example after example after example of how God showed up. And I don't know who I'm talking to today. But I know God is trying to shift some people today. I know he's trying to move you from where you've been to the destiny that he has over your life. And so today, as I read scripture over you, if you say, that's me, that's my story, that's speaking into my situation, that's speaking into my family, that's speaking into my relationship today, I just want you to stand. I want you to give God some praise. I want you to give God some glory. We're going to worship our way out of here today. But it says, the floodwaters covered the earth, but God remembered Noah and his family Jacob said to Rachel and Leah, your father has cheated me, but God did not permit it to harm me. Joseph, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. Saul searched for David, but God did not give David into his hands. Asaph, my health may fail, my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is putting our trust, we're putting our faith in you every single step of the way.